0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Now it's game time. Gabe Kuhn. Gabe Kuhn was one of the great little trivial nuggets in all football bios. His grandfather was the inventor of the Easy Bake Oven
2: like a boss, the best lineman on the radio. Well, the only lineman on the radio. It's game time. Game time. We're ready. The Gabe Coon Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. Well, we have a lot of catching up to do. How about it? Hope everybody enjoyed their Thanksgiving holiday. I know I did. Had some family in town. Got to see a Grizzlies game. Got to do the whole thing. But it is Monday, November 27, 2023. Welcome in to the Gabe Kuhn Show. I am your host, former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman on X at G underscore Kuhn71. I'm Gabe Kuhn. And I'm alongside the executive producer of the Gabe Kuhn Show. That'd be Connor Dunn. On X at
1: Dunning 99. Connor, how was your, how was your holiday? It was a great holiday. It was a great holiday. Saw a couple movies. My wife did the turkey trot at uh, Shelby Farms. It was beautiful. How she long is it? Was a 5K? It. What is it? Yeah, four miles. It was okay. four miles. She absolutely murdered it. Ran a 12-minute a mile. Super proud of her. It was excellent. Hunger Games was good. The Holdovers was great. Tigers basketball was great. Tigers football was good, and then we're not going to talk about the Grizzlies, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we kind of have to, don't we? <laughs> Anthony Edwards giving out quotes saying
2: that uh, it's dead in there. It's dead in FedEx form. Whew. I went on Friday. It's, it is. It is kind of. It just it, it, the edge, the the fun. It just seems like it's been taken out of that building. Uh, the soul. The soul. I guess so. But maybe, uh, Listen. John's going to add some soul back into that building when he comes back. But we're going to have to talk about the Grizzlies as well. I'm going to open on Memphis football um, a couple of different conversations. One, about 9-3 and three and what you should feel about 9-3. and I think people should be a little more positive about 9-3 and three than they are. But outside of that, we're going to have to discuss what Ryan Silverfield said after that Temple game. That is not good, in my opinion. I don't think it was well stated. I don't think that it really helps anybody's case. I don't think it helps him or the Memphis football program grow to what they want to be or what they want to get back to. But we'll talk about that quote, among other things. Memphis basketball was fun this, this, this week. 2-1 and one in Atlantis, 2-1 and one in the Bahamas. Well done. You beat the 20th-ranked team in Arkansas. You handled Michigan. That was the last time we talked. Um, then I guess the championship game, not, not, not so good. Not so good. They just killed themselves with that first half. First half was brutal. They won the second half, and you could say, okay, well, Villanova stopped playing as hard, and uh, maybe there were some reasons that the Tigers were able to come back. But that first half, 44-16, to 16, I don't know a lot of teams in the country that can uh, that can rebound from any type of deficit like that. But the final score was 79-63. We'll discuss it as the uh, Tigers again are left off the AP poll. At this point, it's sort of a whatever, isn't it? It's, uh, okay. Well, I, at I think, this point, like John, I, I've been uh, at the same time, I just have trouble. I have trouble thinking about okay. This team's five and one wins at Missouri and on neutral sites against at a, at a neutral site against Michigan and Arkansas. So Mizzou, Michigan, Arkansas. I don't know if there's a lot of teams that have that type of resume built up. At no, this it's point.
1: like Vill- Villanova and Purdue. It's have strange. resumes that are a bit better. It's I think John Martin. Perfectly summed it up in the tweet that he sent out today. He was like, "Listen, the AP poll was annoying, but it's also a bunch of people who aren't paying attention to the full sport, and to be quite honest, they don't want to update whatever they did last week too much." Yeah, and it's uh, a broken system. Well, it's well, annoying. And the and Tigers we'll, should be top twenty-five, and they are a top twenty-five team. They we'll,
2: are. We'll also talk about, and they're twenty-six. They have one hundred eight yeah. votes still, um, as opposed to one hundred fifty-three last week. They lost votes after going two and one in, in the Bahamas. Okay, I guess the Villanova game, but I, I. I I think that there's just what what, what ultimately happens with as many voters as there are. I think they have predisposed beliefs coming into the year that they don't want to let go of. For better or for worse, I think that's ultimately what happens. Do I really care ultimately at this point? Not really, Um, but it'll be worthy of discussion. We did have a bunch of NFL on Thanksgiving. I'll talk about the Dallas Cowboys once we get to a trip around the NFL Um, and the fact that they just wax bad teams and they can't beat good teams. Tell you why this is the exact same thing that we've seen consistently with this team. Every single year, you want to buy into them in the NFC. You want to see if they can finally get over the hump, get to the NFC Championship, maybe make it to a Super Bowl. Feels like they have all the pieces, but when they get into those massive games against massive opponents, they shrink. And when they play these bad opponents, they beat the ever living hell out of them 45 to 10. 45 to 10 against the Washington Commanders. But that's what we see constantly. They, they make you buy into them because of wins like that, and then you completely sell your stock when they lose to teams that are above 500. That's just what they are, and that's what they have been. That has been the way forward with Dak Prescott as a quarterback, who's having a good year, but at the same time, when push comes to shove, I think everybody is predisposed to believe he'll probably fall short. So we'll talk about that NFL as a whole. By the way, Chiefs uh, – or not Chiefs. Eagles versus Bills, that was game of the year in my opinion. Great game. I don't. I don't. I don't think that. Great game. I don't know if we're going to be outdone anytime soon. That was overtime game. My man Jake Elliott comes through with a 59 the fifty nine yard king field The king of Philadelphia. Well, it's it's nuts. incredible. It's nuts what he does, Connor. I, I I I saw this stat, and this is per Ari Myrov, um, who is the My Sports Update guy. Who who. Um, you know, you see Adam Schefter retweet him a lot. He's he's really good with the NFL uh, newsbreaker, if you will. Jake Elliott, 4-for-4 four four from 58-plus yards in his career, 8-for-8 eight eight under, with under two minutes or in overtime to tie or to give Philly the lead. And then in the, in those conditions, 59 yards with sleet just pouring down with the wind swirling, nails a 59-yarder on a just wet field, disgusting field, to send them into overtime, and they ultimately win the game. Jake, I like I I I'm starting to have these discussions with people. Like it, when we talk about the best kickers in the NFL, I think Justin Tucker, with how consistent he's always been, is at the top. Is Jake right there after the staying power, the personality he's built, the good faith that he's built up in in, in Philadelphia? I I you'd be hard pressed to find a a more recognizable good kicker in the nfl at this particular moment justin tucker's the only one i can put over him at this moment but i think he's right there he's definitely a top two top three kicker in the nfl
1: i mean it feels like when there's a 50 yarder it's money he's six of seven from 50 this season it, it, it's it, okay besides just 50 yarder like the clutch moments is what
2: you really count kickers for like there was a you know adam vinatieri throughout his career hit so many big kicks Uh, There's a guy named Mike Vanderjack that played for the the Colts for a long time. Great kicker during the regular season, rarely missed kicks. Once you got into those playoff situations, those crunch time situations, he'd shank everything. Jake, whether he misses a kick in the middle of a game or not, uh, whether you may think he's lost confidence, he'll step up and hit a 59-yarder in the rain to send them into overtime against one of the NFL's elite in the Bills. And then ultimately they win the game because of that. Like, when you talk about clutch kickers in the NFL, he's at the top of that list. When you talk about great kickers in the NFL, he's at the top of that list as well. It's been unbelievable to watch him. Um, but that game was phenomenal. Um, also on the show today, we'll hop into the Blitz. And we have a bunch of coaching carousel to discuss. You know, Mike Elko at A&M. Jeff Levy gets the job at State. I didn't really see that coming, but I get the job. I, I, I get, you know, the ultimately what Zach Selman decided to do, go back to offense. Uh, A guy that's familiar with the state of Mississippi from his time at Ole Miss. Uh, has done a good job wherever he's been at coaching offense that kind of makes sense. And then uh, in the Blitz, we'll talk about Jonathan Smith, who took the job at Michigan State. Um, He's been 18-7 and the last two years at Oregon State. I think he'll fit in well. I think it's a good hire. But he had a quote about his interest in Michigan State and how this all unfolded. And I found it pretty interesting, and I'll tell you why. Once we get into the woods. As far as guests are concerned, it's a normal Monday. And I shouldn't say a fully normal Monday because Harold Grader, I can tell you, conversation today is going to be great because they've had meetings over at the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. They had three teams lose uh, in the SEC that they were hoping would get to 6 and 6 and get to bowl eligibility so they could keep their SEC tie in. But that has left them in a very strange spot. And there's a lot of discussions about Memphis and Iowa State running it back again, like in 2017. But I'll say this, Connor. As much as I think people are, are rooting for that um, here in this city, I, it's not the same as it was in 2017. This is not the same set of circumstances for each team that, that, that they were dealing with. Iowa State was on the up and up. Um, certainly Memphis, that was my final year on the up and up out of an AAC championship game uh, performance or appearance where you lost late against that UCF team. It's not the same situation, but it does seem like that's very much on the table. Iowa State and Memphis running
1: it back. I, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing it. It was an awesome game. It was an awesome game. I know, you know, it, that was 21-20. your final 20. game, yeah, wasn't it was it? my final game. Here's what I'll say. Y'all got screwed. Oh, that's great. I remember. I don't remember what the call was, there but was I remember a, there, there was a, something that happened in the back of the end zone, and I was right there, and we were losing our minds, and it went Iowa State's way. I can't sp- remember 100 percent what it was, does but it I remember to be an
2: illegal man downfield.
1: It may have been that, or it was that he dropped the ball and they gave him a catch. Joey okay. caught it. I don't know. I can't yeah, remember. I just remember illegal, being like Tigers there was an got illegal screwed.
2: man downfield on number uh, 71. His name was Gabe Kuhn, I think. Yeah. Oh no! That, that called back. That <laughs> called back. That called back a good RPO touchdown from uh, Phil Mayhew. I still hear about no. that one to this day. But hey, listen. When you're in a, a run-pass option situation, you're an offensive lineman. You're blocking for the run. Mike Norvell tells you to cruise up to the safety if no one comes to you. You cruise up to the safety, and then ultimately you're eight yards downfield, and we throw a touchdown pass behind you. That was just a bad situation made worse by. Sort of the play call and how it all shook out. But, hey, it is what it is. 21-20, I had fun. I had fun that year. Although that game was very depressing. It was a great game. I wanted to go out on top in the Liberty Bowl. I got to say that. And it didn't quite quite work out that direction. But we'll see how it all plays out uh, as we get to selection Sunday. We still have championship weekend on the horizon. So much to discuss on today's show. Let's start with Memphis football. One, I want to start with how you should feel about this season. I think you should feel damn good. I'm sorry. I, like maybe I'm the only one, I don't think I'm the only one in this market who's, who's going to tell you that, but 9-3 and three is 9-3. and three. And when you look at them winning their nine games, or whatever it looked like, they won nine games, they lost three games against top 25 opponents by short margins. There was a step in the right direction. When they were in conference and they got into these one-score games, they prevailed more than they didn't, and that is not the case with the last few years of this football program. Whether it was against Houston, giving up a massive lead in the fourth quarter. You lose to Temple a couple years ago. You lose to Tulsa a couple years ago. This team, this program lost games that they were supposed to win the past two years. They won every single game they were supposed to win, lost the ones they were supposed to lose. I know it's frustrating, and it doesn't give you a whole lot of reason and excitement. Um, but at the same time, 9-3 and three with a chance to go and play a Big 12 opponent potentially in the Liberty Bowl to get to 10-3 and three if you win that game and stay undefeated in bowl games. Worst things have happened in the world. I have to say that. Like, I, I, as much as you want to downplay this conference, and I, I think there's reason to downplay this conference. It's, this conference is not very good in football. much as you want to do that, if you win nine games, 99.5% of the country accepts that. And they revel in that. They love it. And for some reason, and I get it's been a 10 year stretch of great results. For some reason, I think we, there's a lot of, there's a faction of the fan base that has grown out of respecting that, of wanting that, of being appreciative of that. It is what it is. But I'll say this I accept nine and three, and I realize that, quite frankly, all these people that want to call for Ryan's head, an extension's going to be on the way. It's not going to be some big new money extension, right? Stretch the imagination. But this will be the incentive-laden extra years. If he reaches eight wins, he gets this type of bonus. If he reaches nine wins, this type of bonus. If you win an AAC championship, this type of bonus. That's what we're going to see coming down the pipe. Now, we'll see how he fares in in a bowl game. Maybe that will shift the way that the movers and shakers behind the scenes will view this thing. But that's what I see happening. We're going to see extension, incentive-laden. That's what's going to happen. But I, I, for one, Connor, I want your thoughts on this as well. I see 9-3 and three as 9-3, and three, and I think it was a positive step in the right direction for this program. Can they sustain that with transfer portal the way it is? You already see Tevin Carter and Davion Carter, the starting right guard, out. Rock Taylor is another guy that's being rumored. Um, with the transfer portal the way it is, with the NIL situation the way it is, can you sustain that and move in a positive direction next year? That's yet to be seen, but I think this year was positive momentum for Ryan Silverfield in his era, and his tenure as the coach of the Memphis football team. And I don't know, quite frankly, how you view it much differently than that.
1: Yes, I agree with you. I think it was a successful season when you look at it. It's an unsexy, successful season. The team improved. It didn't make the leap that you hoped it did. I think the hope was is that they would be, you know, they would have won one of those games against SMU, Missouri, Tulane. Like, if you get yes. one of those wins, it's a different story. But – I still think it's a positive season for the Memphis Tigers. Like you said, most of the country would take 9-3 and three and should take 9-3. and three. That is a good season. It is definitely better than last season. I, I, I do agree that they won games this year that they would have lost last season. You saw an improvement from the offensive side of the football. I think the one of the reasons that it doesn't feel sexy, though, is because the defense just wasn't very good down the stretch, and yep. it made watching the games difficult. It, it, felt, it felt stressful watching the games. It was a lot of... I, I described it as a Tony Allen three-pointer. That's what <laughs> it was like the whole season for the Tigers. You're like, no, 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 yes! yes, they won. That's what it was like every single game for the Tigers this season. All of that being said, I understand why there are some frustrations out there, but nine and three is nine and three. I mean,
2: here's where I want to go back to this offseason when you looked at the schedule, you looked at Mizzou, Boise State, Tulane, and SMU as games that were really. Possibly losable. And then you looked at UAB as maybe one of those. That didn't turn out to be the case. But most people said expectation, bare minimum, that keeps his job, that makes you feel okay about the way the season is going, or maybe feel like you have positive momentum. Most people said, you got to get eight wins. They got nine. They got nine. With a chance of playing a good bowl game and maybe a premier opponent, a power five opponent. Worst things have happened. That's all I can say. I'm not saying that this is going to be sustained next year. You got to see who's in, who's out, what they do in the, on the transfer portal, what they do in, in, in recruiting. But at the same time, I have a tough time knowing where this program has come from. Disrespecting nine and three. I just have a tough time doing it. I understand expectations change. And that's probably part of the reason that we saw the quote we saw after the temple game, 45, 21 win. We know that now, Ryan decided after the game he was going to talk about certain things. He has expressed um, to a lot of people in this market. He's expressed, I think, in his pressers at, at points that he feels if you need to compete for championships, maybe NIL, more investment there is the way to go. Now, I expected sort of the discussion to be around that after he gave this quote, but clearly based on what he said, that is not where this discussion went. He was talking about fans that are unhappy with 9-3, and three, and he likened them to people that complain about politics that don't vote. So he went after the fan base. Um, I would understand if the quote, the full quote was about, if you want to compete for championships, you have to invest in players. You have to invest money in NIL and facilities and everything else, the infrastructure of the program, to be on the SMU level right? SMU gives a lot of money out in NIL. They have a lot of money, a lot of donors that are willing to throw out that money. If that was the discussion, I can get with that discussion. We can have that conversation about the way that NIL dollars are distributed at the University of Memphis and why football may not get as much as they should. That's not what this became though. This became Ryan basically saying, I have 10 to 15,000 people out there that are off board with me, that want me gone. I'm going to alienate them further. That's what it felt like to me, and I don't think that that is anything that's going to move you in a positive direction. I don't think that you need to alienate fans further that have jumped off board with you. You need all fans, all everybody on deck if you're the University of Memphis. You're talking about realignment. You know what, know what helps? Selling the program, making sure all those fans pack the Liberty Bowl every single Saturday that you play, Friday, Thursday, whenever you play in the AAC schedule. We know it gets wonky. Know what makes you more interesting? 40,000 people in the seats every single weekend. Selling the program at a high level. Being a personable personality, right? That's what gets you where you want to go. I don't think that alienating further fans that feel alienated at this particular moment is the answer to the ills that may be you feel are, are going wrong with this program that may be going wrong with the fan base. It's It was a frustrating quote for me because I know ultimately what he was trying to say, but it didn't come across that way. What he was trying to say is we need more investment in NIL dollars if you want to compete at the highest level. That's what you need to do. But that's not how it came across. It came across as these fans are out on me. I'm going to tell them to be further out on me.
1: Yeah. That's what it became. Yeah, I, you know, I've never really been down with Coaches or teams trying to tell people also how to spend their money, especially in a a market like Memphis. Listen, I understand that the program may not have gotten the support that Ryan believes it should have. And he may be frustrated by some of the talk about his job. I understand it. He won nine games and there's still people out there calling for his job. That's got to be frustrating. But I feel as if this was an opportunity for him to ride the wave of the renovation news and say listen I understand that this season may not have been perfect for us but it was still a very good season you know I say it all the time don't let perfect get in the way of good it was a really good season for the Memphis Tigers and he could say listen we need to help us get to the next level we need the support of the Memphis Tigers fan base we understand that we need to be better on the field we need to be burying these teams we need to have a more exciting product so winning just winning isn't Everything like you know, it needs to be exciting. It needs to have you know culture to it. It needs to have a feel to it when you go to the Liberty Bowl games. He should. it just it felt like an opportunity that was missed. He could have ridden the wave of the Liberty Bowl renovation news and said, "Listen, that place is about to be brand new, spanking. It's going to look great. We need the support of the Memphis Tigers, and we can make something special here. We can really help turn this into something. This was a year, a step in the right direction. I understand why some people may not be fully on board, but give me an opportunity to bring you on board with us. Let's make this thing better next." season it just like you said it felt like he was he's alienating them more so when when he didn't need to do that it felt unnecessary
2: I don't think you should alienate fans that have higher expectations the program because they have reasons to believe that the expectations should be high right And, and we've seen I mean even this year like Dabo losing his way after winning two national championships because he's blaming expectations and people not being happy those messages don't go over well with the with the fan base that's even on your side the fan base that still wants you here, the fan base that's still on board with the
1: Ryan Silverfield era, these type of messages don't resonate well with them either. Well, it, here's the truth: we're talking about his quotes on Monday after they've gone nine and three, instead of talking about the game and them going nine and three. You yes. know, it just it felt and, like he threw granted, a roadblock even if, in front even of himself it, that wasn't present.
2: Even if it became the, we'd still be talking about you know if it was just. You know, if we want to get to the next level, NIL, we need to invest more. We need uh, the Memphis faithful to cough up a little bit more money. We've seen multiple coaches do that. We'd be talking about that quote, but it wouldn't be as negative, right? But I feel like since you're alienating a fan base, a faction of the fan base, that you need to advance yourself to the next level, that's where I feel like this is. I just don't know what that quote in its entirety did to help his case. Nine and three helped your case. You could have come out and said, NIL, we need more. We need more. If you want to keep these players on this roster, if you want to bring in better players out of the transfer portal, if you need better players on the recruiting trail, we need more in the face of NIL. But since you just sort of go after the fan base and cast dispersions on them,
1: that's not how it's being read. We've, we've talked about in the past with with – programs in the city and, th- and programs across the country. If you make the fan base feel as if they are included and part of the process, and hey, we can do this together. And st- he made it adversarial when it's not adversarial. He needed to make it, hey, br- I'm going to bring you in. I yes. understand why you may be alienated. It, w- it was an unsexy season. We had a couple close calls with teams that we shouldn't have close calls, but at the end of the day, we got 9-3, and three, right direction, and next season, let's blow this thing out. Let's yes. get back to the prominence of Memphis football that we know this program can be, but I I need your help. That's what he should have been like. I yes. need you. I need you on our side. You may not love me, but do it for these players. Do it for the. Do it for the fans. Do it for the players. Do it for the University of Memphis. If you don't like me, that's fine. But step up for the Tigers as a whole. That's the direction a you should call, have gone a, a call in. A call to action. action. A call, a call to, to action. action. Yes. Instead of instead of what it became, yes. and that was dispersions being
2: cast. The fan base that you ultimately need.
1: Yes. And. It...
2: <sighs> You need, I got we coached need by the guy. I know the guy very well. I know Ryan. I know where his heart was in that moment. It's just the message that he put across is not the one that I think he wanted to put across ultimately. And that's what frustrates me about that because you can't take back what you said. Now, again, they're going to have a chance at a bowl game. We're going to see how that all shakes out. We'll see where they're at on Selection Sunday. They may have a chance at home in the Liberty Bowl to get the seniors out on top against the Big 12 opponents. That's going to be all well and good, but this quote is going to stick, and I think it's going to stick in some people's crawls, a lot of fans' crawls, and I I I I hate that for him. After a year that should have been viewed relatively positively, you, you leave them with this quote. You alienate more of that fan base, and
1: I I just I don't appreciate. I don't I don't I don't think that it was. As well said as it should have been. I mean, if we want to be honest, I think everybody's reaction to reading it was, "Ah, oh, come on, man! Like that was unnecessary." You know, it's when I when I saw the quote after the game, you know, I was excited. We finally got a game where Memphis won by twenty plus against an opponent they should have. It was fourteen nothing, very quick. I didn't have to worry about the whole game. It felt like a, a really successful day for the Tigers. And then that quote came out, and I was like, "Damn!" We're, I know we're going to have to talk about it. You know, it was just. It's an unnecessary thing that happened when we should be celebrating the nine and three season, the forty-five to twenty-one win over 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 Temple. That should be what we're talking about. What's ha- what's the bowl game outlook for this yes. team? But instead, we're talking about a coach alienating part of his fan base, and that's unfortunate.
2: And I've also seen, by the way, on the bowl front, James Madison is bowl eligible now because there's not enough bowl eligible teams. Of course, James Madison versus Memphis and the. And the Gasparilla Bowl would be an interesting one. That would be interesting. But isn't that also
1: the most NCAA thing of all time? Yes. You can't play in this. And then, hey, we kind of nah, need you. We kind of need you. Yeah. yeah, we don't want five <laughs> and seven teams from the SEC playing. So
2: please, please play. Yeah, but that is that.
1: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
2: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy.
0: Put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
2: But again, it could have been a call to action that we're all discussing. Some people may not like the call to action. Some people may appreciate the call to action, and we could have realistic discussions about that, but it wasn't a call to action. It was taking a part of the fan base that's off board, and telling them that they're full of it. Well, and I just don't think that that was the way forward the for this program and for this fan base to get re-engaged and re-energized it, by, by what Ryan did this
1: year. Well, the university has also announced that they're trying to raise $50 million to help with the stadium. Do you think this is going to incentivize huge. people to go donate and help with that movement when you're alienating them? No! It's It it's, could have been a call to action for right, that $50 Right, exactly. Million you should have been like... Be a part of this. Be a part of this. We can continue this era of Memphis football. The last 10 years has been great. And we can continue it moving forward as long as we're a team. You may not agree with me. You may not like me. But at least you can be on my team. Yes.
2: Yes. But, again, we'll, we'll stay updated on Memphis football news and exactly where they go with the bowl, bowl projections and bowl game when we, once we get to selection Sunday after championship weekend. But that quote definitely was something that was, uh, it, was, it was discussed over the weekend and I understand why it was discussed. Um, now Memphis basketball, I think a good week last week. Tremendous I don't, I don't think how I, I okay, you can talk about the Villanova game as much as you want and how at forty four to sixteen and a half and there was a what, sixteen to five or nineteen to five deficit at some point in the first ten minutes. It was frustrating, but you can't take away two and one with two wins over over power teams in Michigan and then Arkansas. You can't take that away. Two and one getting to the championship game in the battle for Atlantis, a premier tournament outside of the Maui Invitational. That is as good as I mean, as good as you could have hoped for. Best case scenario is winning all three games and, and winning a championship game, but having your one loss be in the championship game after beating a top twenty team and beating a Michigan team who's probably going to be uh, solid in the Big Ten, I think that's that's about as good as you could have hoped for, quite
1: frankly. Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, you know, I very much enjoyed watching the Memphis Tigers play basketball. You know, from Wednesday on, it was uh, t- tuning into the games. It felt like a different team that you were watching. It was composed; they were calm. Yeah, the, you know, the Villanova game didn't go the, w- the way that you wanted to. Villanova just couldn't miss a shot in that in first, first half. half, and the Tigers looked gassed. You know what happens? It was it was unfortunate, but I think uh, three, I, games I agree. In three days will do that to you. I agree. I would I would much rather focus on the eighty four seventy nine win over Arkansas, which was hard fought, and it was a good game, well, and it was a rivalry game, and it felt like it was important. And you know that's why hopefully the momentum from that game might be able to turn into a home home and home would, because I that's mean, what needs to happen. These honest. two
2: teams should be playing. I do more. I, listen, if 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 it has to be two in Arkansas and one at home, do it. Do it. Give the people what they want. I know there's some fans that want us to act, want to be on the same level, but Arkansas has no intention, I think, of doing straight home and home. I think they'd want two at their place, one at one in one in FedEx form, and that's fine with me. See if they'll accept that. Feels like Mus Must did say I don't deal with scheduling, but he deals scam. with scheduling a little bit. Come on now. Don't act like that. Um, but the Michigan game, Ashton Hardaway showed up pretty massively. The 17 points, we talked about that before we got out. Five for seven from three. And going nuts. Holy
1: hell, man. Caleb Mills just <laughs> destroyed
2: somebody. Yeah, he, he dropped somebody. But the Ashton Hardaway story was pretty phenomenal, right? And I think even in that game, like, Jaden Hardaway had his moments as well. He didn't miss a shot. He was two for two from the field, five points, played 11 minutes. Ashton Hardaway, the 18 minutes, five for seven from three. The Hardaway boys showed up as soon as Penny got back on the sideline. I thought, I don't think that's a coincidence by any stretch of the imagination, but that was great. Now, the end of that game, not well executed. A a four-point win should have been about an eight-point win, but, hey, a win is a win is a win on a neutral court against a team like Michigan. Then in the Arkansas game, there's there's no other place to look, man. David Jones, holy hell. That kid, when it comes down to... When he's locked in on the offensive end, there's nothing you can put in his way to stop him. Now, is he going to be that locked in every game? No. It's hard for any player to be that locked in. But 10 for 14 from the field, four for eight from the three-point line, got to the free throw line, count it 14 times, made 12 of them, ended with 36 points. And also, on top of all that, we talked about him being a dirty work guy and a guy who's going to give his effort on the defensive end. He had five stinking steals david jones is a dude there should be no questions about who he is as a basketball player he's going to be inefficient some nights but we know now and we knew only five games into the season that he can get out and give you outputs like this give you production like this
1: um you know, night to night. And that was very fun to watch. That was a show he put on. It was a show. It was it was incredibly fun to watch with family, you know, on Thanksgiving, watch him put on a performance like that. It was the timely shots that the Tigers kept hitting. It felt like every single time the Memphis Tigers needed to hit a three or get a bucket, David Jones was hitting it. Nick Jourdain was also amazing. He was incredible oh, in that game. All over the all over Stepped the up. It was really fun and to watch. It was just, it was fun to watch. They were hitting timely shots. They were calm. They were composed, playing very good defense, taking care of the basketball. It was great to watch. It was a, a lot of That's another
2: discussion that I've, I've been trying to have with people. Like, Nick Jourdain, from a production standpoint, outside of this Arkansas game, has not really put out that much. He had 12 points in that game, but like, uh, his previous high was, what, eight against Jackson State, you know, when he was starting. Um, but every single game, that's a winning player. That He makes a positive impact on the game every time he's in there. The hustle up and down the floor. He's getting everybody sort of organized on the defensive end. Uh, he's blocking shots at a high level, rebounding at a relatively high level. That's the type of guy off the bench that you need to win basketball games. Nick Jordan, and it was kind of funny just sitting there watching the game with my pops just sitting on the couch, um, you know, just enjoying each other's company. I said, yeah, that number two guy, he doesn't really, you know, production-wise, like you just sort of look at his stat line, the box score, it's, it's not much. But I really like him. Glue and back. then he proceeded to have a 12-point game, block multiple shots, be there on the defensive end consistently. I have, I have grown to like Nick Jordain, and, and I like when he gets extended minutes off the bench as well.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we, I think that we also need to be honest about one of the Memphis Tigers. It's, listen, I, I, like, I like Jordan Brown a lot, but dude's out of shape right now. He's out of shape. Yep. He, it's, it's, it's tough to see. Honestly, and Nick Jordan and Malcolm Dangers gave him some big minutes when they needed it, especially on the defensive end. Big Malco had three blocks. He wasn't great offensively, but he had some big timely blocks for the Tigers and he left it all out there. So having Jordan and Dangers come in and be able to kinda offset Jordan Brown not having a great game was it was helpful.
2: Um and then the Villanova game, we've covered it a little bit, but seventy nine sixty three and really it, it was just the first half got It killed him. It got out of hand. I mean, they won by 12 in the second half, 47-35 to over Villanova, but 44-16, to no one can really overcome that. And a couple of things there. Not great closing out on the three-point line. Also, Villanova hit everything from the three-point line. Um, And I think that, you know, whether it was Javon Quinterly or Jaden Hardaway or Caleb Mills, too many turnovers. Sloppy in the first half. And it just led them to a nasty deficit that they were never going to overcome. No matter how hard they tried in that second half, they tried. They they fought pretty valiantly. It was a hell of an effort in the, effort second, in the half, half, second half. But it just was never going to get within striking distance after, you know, being down by that much in the first half. Um, but I, I I've gone a couple ways. Like one, you see some people out there that will say, oh, it just shows that they're not on Villanova's level. Villanova has that championship-caliber team. You feel good about what they have. Uh, Neptune's done a good job bringing in different guys, uh, transfer portal additions, and um, they still recruit at a high level. They'll say, oh, well, they're not on Villanova's level. The other way, and the way I kind of look at it, is it's early season basketball three games in 3 days sometimes you have some flops half to half you played and they flopped in that first half and you couldn't really recover i still think that this memphis team can compete
1: with a team like villanova it just didn't happen on that particular day well they showed it in the second half they can absolutely compete with these teams listen you played three quad 1 teams and you won two of them i'll yep. take it yes. i'll take it if, if we if we told tigers fans hey you're going to go 2 and 1 this week and you get two quad 1 wins everybody would have said deal
2: yeah but then, if you said the two quad one wins would leave you at twenty six again in the poll, <laughs> I think people—that's well, just it. silly. But again, I'm just—I'm—I'm I'm done worrying about what the AP voters.
1: We need do GP for. to bring back the I, I, uh, attack yeah, the pollsters. I, I just—I
2: I think more so than anything, when it comes to the way these guys with the AP poll vote. Now Memphis still got one hundred and eight votes. It's nothing. I mean, that's a lot. Um, but I just think it comes down to whatever your predisposed belief was. Five games or six games into the season, you don't want to shift that. You don't want to switch that too much. And I think Memphis is sort of on the losing end of that battle at this moment. I, they have plenty of opportunities still to change that around. I mean, they're going to have um, next time out, they'll be at Ole Miss um, on on the second. Then you'll have at VCU, at A&M all in a row uh, in an eight-day eight eight, eight day span if they fare well in those games. I think everything will be, be all right, and they'll be in the, the top 25. But it's just, hey, it is what it is. AP voters are going to vote the way they want, and I think their predisposed belief uh, about Penny Hardaway and the teams he's coached in the past, I think they're getting in the way of the Tigers actually cracking the top 25.
1: Yeah, and to be honest about it, the, the Ken Palm, they moved up. The minority they moved up to, to the sixth seed. I'll take that over being you know, number 25 right
2: now. Yes, Yes, but this team still has a lot ahead of them. There's yes. no question about it. We're only 6 games in the year 2 and 1 and the battle for Atlantis was pretty damn good considering the situation. You beat a top 20 team. You you showed who you were on a national scale. I think people are buying into it, but you just have to get that that final sort of say so with the AP voters voting them into the top 25 every single week and that hasn't happened yet. But hey, encouraging weekend. No, oh, no question about it. No question about it. Now uh it was, a, it was an encouraging weekend of entertainment in general um, when it came to college football. Um, and I have to talk about it, and there's no way I can possibly avoid it. And it was really highlighted by the Iron Bowl, which was in Jordan-Hare. Fourth and 31. Fourth and 31. Talk about that and also some coaching carousel news when we return on the Gabe Kunjo, Show, 92.9 FM ESPN. guests appear on the smile center hotline now back to the gabe coon show live from the service master by cornerstone studios on 92.9 fm espn back rolling on the gabe coon show 92.9 fm espn rivalry week Our weekend in general was unbelievable in college football, and it was capped off by 4th and 31. But what did we start with on Saturday? Because I think Saturday was the big day of football everybody was waiting for. Of course, we started with A&M and LSU, and that was Jaden Daniels' sort of last hoorah to try to make his Heisman case, which I think is made. He ended up 42-30 to over A&M, 16 for 24, 235, 4 TDs, no INTs, 11 rushes for 120 yards. He finishes the year. He finishes a year, not only a 9-3 record, but 72% completion percentage, 3,800 yards passing, 40 touchdowns to four interceptions, 135 attempts rushing for 1,134 yards, 8.4 average, which is the highest in the country, and 10 touchdowns. He accounted for 50 touchdowns, only had four interceptions. Uh, listen, I, I understand that the Heisman generally will go – to the best player on one of the best teams that's going to be in the college football playoff. And we expect it higher and a little bit more from LSU. But that's the most irreplaceable player on that team. That's one of the most irreplaceable players in the country, if not the most irreplaceable player in the country. You cannot put in anybody and get 3,800 yards, 50 TDs, and 1,100 yards rushing. You can't just do that with anybody. Jane Daniels, to me, even with the three losses, deserves to win the Heisman. Now we can talk about Bo Nix, and Bo Nix has had a really good year. I think he should he should fall into second because his team is very good. They're really good on the offensive side and the defensive side. This is one of the worst LSU defenses since I've been following LSU. Quite frankly, this is one of the worst. Thirty points to an A and M team. Max Johnson's going to transfer. He's been out, like they just don't have anything a redeeming quality, and they still gave up thirty points to that A and M team. Jaden Daniels. If he was not on that LSU team, there would have been a lot more losses on that record. 100%. That would have been a 7-5, and 6-6 six and six team, and we need to come to grips with that. When we talk about the most outstanding player in the country, that's what the Heisman is, there's no question in my mind, that was Jaden Daniels this year. But also, in that early slate, we saw Louisville drop their second game to Kentucky, 38-31, to in a rivalry game, and then we got to the Michigan-Ohio State game, where, quite frankly... It, it really played out just about how I thought it would. Ohio State's solid on the defensive side, but uh, Kyle McCord just gets in their way. He, he gets in their way. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr. still was phenomenal. Five catches, 118 yards, and one TDs, and one TD. But Kyle McCord, two, in, two, two interceptions. It, it's just they don't have a good enough running game to overcome the issues that they have at that quarterback position. And I think it was a playing game to the college football playoff. Uh just about by every measure, and Ohio State has fallen short for the third straight year. And I think outside of that, too, you get a lot of questions about Ryan Day and the job he's done the last three years in, in particular, um, although he did make the college football playoff last year and took the, the national champion uh, in Georgia, the the team that went on to win the national championship, took it gave them everything that they could possibly handle with C.J. Stroud at quarterback. C.J. Stroud had a lot to say about that as well. But the Ryan Day conversations are going to start. And I think largely 0-3 against Michigan, your rivalry game, and pseudo-play-in games, that does not help. You have a college football playoff national championship standard at Ohio State. And then in that game, quite frankly, Connor, I saw a guy that was not willing to take risk, a guy who sort of played it cool, played it conservative. Where on the other side, you had an interim coach in Sharon Moore going for it on three fourth downs and getting them, taking advantage of every opportunity Kyle McCord gave to them. And I saw Ryan Day on multiple occasions on fourth down in no man's land, kick it, punt it, do that type of thing. He had a a 52-yard field goal that he attempted on fourth and two um, in Michigan's territory that they missed. I thought that loomed large. But I saw a guy on one side in Ryan Day who played far too conservative and an interim coach in Sharon Moore say, I'm going to lay everything on the table and you're going to have to take advantage. You're going to have to stop me. And I think that's ultimately what lost Ohio State the game. Because I don't think that Michigan's offense is, is, is that great. They didn't do anything overly uh, well against Ohio State. But Ohio State made just enough mistakes for Michigan to take take advantage, and I think also Michigan was the more aggressive team throughout that game.
1: Yeah, they won the trench battle. You know, they were able to run the football 156 yards on Ohio State, and even though the defense stepped up and it was a really physical football game, Michigan just had had more. And like you said, the quarterback play was a huge part of it. Kyle McCord just didn't have it done. We, we talked about this off-air right before we started the show, but, like, you know, if C.J. Stroud's back there. Ohio State probably wins that probably. football game, but they didn't have the quarterback play. J.J. McCarthy did exactly what he needed to do. I think Sherron Moore's been tremendous. You know, he's yeah. been great we all got that meme from the first game and that's all fun and good but when you really look at how he's been performing as the interim head coach for michigan he is doing a very very good job
2: well all he's saying is we're gonna run the hell out of the ball jj you just hold on to it don't turn the ball don't don't turn it over that's it And, so, and this, is a, this is a guy in J.J. McCarthy who he thought could be a Heisman at one point in the year, and he's not even putting the ball in his hands because he knows he has the O-line, the running back room, and the defense to compete in any game against any team any given, any given Saturday. So I, I, I respect what Sharon Moore's done, what he's done. But it is kind of striking to me that I felt that he was the more aggressive coach with his set of circumstances than a guy who's actually a head coach in Ryan Day. Now, the Ryan Day conversation is a little overblown to me. Um, I think Ohio State fans, there's a lot of fans that have these high expectations, and I get it, okay? Ohio State's known to be in the national championship hunt. They're known to be in the college football playoff. They're the only Big, team, big Ten team that's won um, in the college football playoff right, in 2014, the the first one. But at the same time, I have a hard time saying move on from Ryan Day when he is 56-7, and and I think that he has tried to make the requisite adjustments to get over top of Michigan. He just hasn't been able to do that so far this year. This year's game was much more competitive than it has been the last two years, and the reason that is he beefed up in the trenches, and his defense is all that. He has tried to make the adjustments on the fly. I cannot hold a 56-7 and coach to a standard of you have to win the national championship every single year or it is a failure. I I, I remember there was a time with Jim Harbaugh where he couldn't get over top of Ohio State, and I think he was 0-5 at that point, and people wanted to move off of him. This feels very similar to me. And Ohio State fans, I know that fan base is rabid. They're one of the most rabid um, in the country. But I, I don't think that we're at a point where Ryan Day needs to be the guy that falls on the sword for not winning a national championship since 2014. I think that's a little bit wild.
1: Yeah. I, mean, I still think, think it would be wild. crazy to move on from Ryan Day.
2: Yes. And I, I think there's things he needs to work on. But I think he has tried to work on those things. Now he needs to get his offense back caught up to where it was a couple of years ago when they were high-flying. And that, this year was not that year for him. But that defense stepped in the right direction. He has more edge about him. Um, with that team as a whole, they, they, can, they can beef up against you and win trench battles against teams that have good trenches. I, I think we're, we're headed in the right direction. He still needs to learn what he's going to do with this offensive line, get the run game going, um, and you need to find another quarterback that, that, that can be on that C.J. Stroud-type level.
0: After the end of a good fight, you deserve a nice cold reward.
2: But I, I don't think that it, I'm not gonna rule it rule it out. I think he can make that happen. I think he can go make that
1: happen. Yes, 100% agree with you. And I think we also need to be honest about it. The last two seasons, we've also had generational Georgia teams that are playing. Like it's yeah. been it's been really hard to win the national championship the last few seasons because of what's happening in Georgia. And you have all of these powerhouse teams. And yeah. You've lost to Michigan. You're 0-3 the last three years. I understand it. But to your point, Harbaugh, you know, go look at his history and look at where they are now. You know, aren't they happy they didn't move on for Harbaugh this season? I think so. It just Ryan Day is doing what he needs to. It's not like he's out there talking like Dabo. He's not saying yeah. like, oh, it, you know, it, he's not blaming everybody else. He's You know, he understands the problems that they have. He knows that they're going to be losing a amazing wide receiver. He's going to try to fix that. You got to get better in the trenches. you got to find a quarterback. Let's be honest. It, they got to find a quarterback. Yeah. The quarterback changes everything in this game. It does. He threw yep. two picks, he gave him two extra possessions.
2: Yep. And they didn't turn the ball over. Yep. That's how it works. And you lose thirty to twenty four. Two extra possessions would have helped you a whole lot. Certainly. Yeah. So I I, I, I I get where expectations and reality are a little bit different with, with Ryan Day, but fifty six and seven having been in the college football playoff multiple times with a chance to go beat Georgia last year, it's just hard for me to get on the, on the same page as Ohio State fans and a lot of the fans around the country that say you need to move on from him and find somebody else. Who are you going to go find? Who are you going to go get that you know for a fact is going to be better than Ryan Day at this current juncture? I don't know if that name is out there for you. I think that you're you're fooling yourself if you think that there is a no-doubt name that will immediately be placed into that Ohio State position and win a national championship year one, year two. I just I I think that that is an unrealistic expectation. and This is not uncommon with Ohio State fans. They, they, they tend to get spoiled. C.J. Stroud was a guy that they wanted to be... Kyle McCord got a start in place of C.J. Stroud because of all of the outside attention that C.J. Stroud got after the Oregon loss at home a couple of years ago. They wanted C.J. Stroud out of that seat, but now you see what he was, how good he was, and I think Ohio State fans have come to ter- come to terms with that, I kind of get the sense that this Ryan Day thing can age similarly if he stays in that seat. Now, the NFL could come calling. There could be another job that he wants. There were some AM rumors before Mike Elko took that job. If he moves on, he moves on. But at the same time, I feel like for Ohio State fans, we could look back in a couple years, see Ryan Day make some adjustments that he needed to make, and they could be right there in a national championship Playing for a title, so
1: especially if Harbaugh leaves.
2: Yes, so I, I, I think people need to. This is this is Ohio State fans. They need to get a little bit of a grip. It's an eleven and one season. It's an eleven and one season. You lost to the number one team, uh, the the team that likely is favorited to to win the national championship or the second leading favorite behind Georgia. So. At some point, you need to just realize. Pump the brakes. Other 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 <laughs> other teams do good jobs too. Other teams uh, pay coaches a lot of money to go beat you, and that's Jim Harbaugh in this current situation. So, I, I
1: little pump the brakes at least a tad bit. I know they're not going to, but pump the. Brakes. Listen, you drop the game next year, maybe you can talk. But just and then pump the brakes.
2: That led us into two thirty, which was the game of the weekend. Um, in, in college football, that's Alabama versus Auburn. 27-14, to 14, Alabama gets over top. And I just, I am, I'm still shocked by what I saw. Still shocked. I, I don't, I can't get a grip on 4th and 31. I can't come to terms with it. Like, I had a debate at one point through that entire process. Jalen milroe runs in front of the, uh, line of scrimmage steps back, thinking he can throw it for some reason. Throws it, gets a loss of down. It's fourth and thirty-one. I'm going, okay. Nick Saban's a good coach. Nick Saban's a smart coach. Does he elect? And I, I, I thought this was, you know, this was definitely on the table. Does he elect to kick the field goal, try to get an onside kick to see if he can go win this game, or does he go for a win right now, try to throw it to the end zone? And I really thought I was almost leaning to the field goal. And the onside kick is fourth and 31. You know how easy that is to defend. You know how many offensive coordinators and offensive coaches have a play drawn up for fourth and 31 where you can get a touchdown? You know how many of that is? That's a big zero. There is no offensive coordinator or offensive play caller who has a play drawn up to go score on fourth and 31. But somehow it happened. <laughs> Isaiah Bond in the corner of the end zone, Jalen Milrow buys as much time as possible and throws a dot right to him. There's a little bit of a push-off, potentially, but they didn't call it. Um, I, I don't care. It made it absolutely interesting unreal, and friend. unreal. And then Auburn fans just seeing the looks on their faces, the amount of tears. It, it brought me life. It was fun to watch. I hate to say it, but... It's the truth of it. I think both of those teams shot themselves in the foot so many times in the fourth quarter that ultimately the team that is, is bred to win championships, the team that had more on the line ultimately prevailed. But there is no real rationalization of fourth and 31 into the corner of the end zone. There's no rationalization for that. I could say Jordan hair and the voodoo and weird things happen in that stadium, but usually that leans Auburn at leaned to Alabama this time. That was just Connor. It was pure insanity, and I, I, I could not believe what I was watching. I let an audible scream out when I saw that that uh, uh, that ball get caught by Isaiah Bond in the quarter of the end.
0: We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch